Well, hey, this new series is called Pray, and we're going to look at a number of different things throughout this series to focus on prayer. And we're starting off today with uh, answering this question, how does prayer work? How does it work? We know that, as I said, typically someone teaches us to pray. Prayer is one of the most important things that we can do and should do as followers of Jesus. Prayer is an oftentimes neglected or forgotten uh, piece. It's kind of like reading the instructions. Uh, you know, we go to it when we need it, when it's not working, when we can't get it figured out on our own, then we go to prayer. Hey, God, I need some help. You know, we know the foxhole prayers and test day prayers, kind of lob something out there. God, could you help me through this situation? I need some encouragement, some wisdom. And that's typically, unfortunately, when many of us think about prayer. But the truth is that prayer is an absolutely essential connection we need to have with God. The truth is we shouldn't be able to talk to God. We shouldn't have that kind of access to a holy, pure, and perfect God. As lowly human beings who are sinful and fallen and broken, we should not be able to do it, and yet we have this incredible gift. Prayer is a lifeline. If we're to be effective as a church, if we're to be effective as individuals, followers of Jesus in our homes, in our workplace, in the world around us, we've got to develop and foster a powerful, effective prayer life. It is the most important thing that we can do as followers of Jesus. The word prayer is mentioned in the New Living Translation anyway, 436 times in the scriptures. Very simply stated, prayer is talking to God. In its very simplest form, that's what it is. Prayer is an act of faith. It cannot be done without faith. You're not going to pray to an unseen God who you cannot touch and interact with in a physical way. You're not going to do it without faith. Faith is essential in order for prayer to take place. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. In a sense, when we pray, we prove the existence of God by our prayers. When I was five years old and I recognized I needed salvation, that I was a little sinner headed to hell and I needed saving, and I prayed and asked Jesus to save me, and I put my trust in what Jesus had done. And from that moment on, I enjoyed a connection with God, one where I knew he existed, I knew he knew me, and I began to get to know him by talking to him in a very conversational childlike way. And as I've grown through the years, that connection has stayed there. There's times it's not as strong as others. There's times where I've questioned whether or not God was there listening to me, hearing me. But the truth is that connection has maintained. God has been present and available to me throughout my life. And the fact is, this is the nature of prayer. It's how it works. But what is going on when we pray? How is it that as sinful people, we can access a holy God? We know in the Old Testament, uh, those that wanted to come into the temple, they wanted to access the presence of God, they had to go through a lot of purification rituals, they had to offer sacrifices so that they could come into God's presence and talk to him. There were priests that only a priest could go into the Holy of Holies, which was where God's presence dwelt for the nation of Israel. And so, um, and so there was a distance, there was a separation, and there was all kinds of things that people had to do in order to access God or have access to him to talk to him. And the truth is that there still is a process today. It's different. We don't have to go through someone else 
to get access to God, but we do need to access him through uh, Jesus, his son. See, the scriptures teach us that sin has fallen on the world and that we are born into sin and that we individually sin and we're separated from God. We live as enemies of the cross, enemies of God, going our own direction, doing our own thing, living as though we are God. And until we come to God humbly and recognize that we need him, we are not connected in an intimate, personal way. We can lob up prayers. We can throw them to God. God, would you help me? Like I said, those kinds of things we can do, and God hears those prayers. But the intimacy of a connection between a God that we know him as well as he knows us does not happen until we put our trust in what Jesus has done. When we do that, the scriptures teach us that we're justified or made right with God. We find peace with him. And so instead of being an enemy of God's, instead of uh, being in opposition to him, instead of holding him out here like this, we're, we open ourselves to him and we come to him humbly and he pulls us in to a relationship and he begins to interact with us. So when we pray, this is what the scripture tell us, when we pray, we pray to the Father, by the, or excuse me, to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. We learn about God in the scriptures and we find that God is a complex being. The Old Testament teaches us in the nation of Israel, God taught them that he was one. Monotheism, one God. Not many gods, but one God. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. And they worshiped the one true God. And yet if we look back at the creation account in Genesis, we see that God says, let us make man in our own image. And so as he created human beings, male and female, he made them in his own image. But it says, let us. And we think, why does it say us there if it's one God? And we, got, we start to understand the complexity of who God is. As we move through the scriptures, we learn about uh, the three persons of what we call the Trinity. We have a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, distinct, okay, and yet acting as one, unified in thought, in action, in motive, in character, so that when they act, it is one action. It is one God that is moving, perfectly unified. And so we discover in this that God is a little harder to understand than we thought. Thought maybe we could grasp him and get our heads around who God is, and then God throws this at us a complexity that doesn't make any sense in our finite human minds. Three cannot be one. It's either three or it's one. And yet we learn from the scriptures that our God is three in one. And so we find that God is bigger than we can understand. I know for some, this is a struggle. And uh, they want to be able to get their cerebral cortex around who God is and feel as though they understand him. But can I assure you that if you could do that, your God would not be God. He would be an invention of your own mind. Your ability to understand him would prove the fact that he didn't exist. If God is real and he really does exist, he's going to be, on, he's going to be beyond our ability to understand him. And so it is a comfort to me that I cannot wrap my brain around who God is. 
that there are aspects of who he is, there are truths about him that I must accept by faith. And I must say, man, that's beyond me to understand. Thank you, God, that you're beyond my ability to understand. All three persons of the Trinity play a role in our prayers. When we pray, first of all, we pray to the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the apostle writes these words, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. This term Abba is a term of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. Could be translated, I've heard some people translate it as daddy. In other words, there's an intimate connection between us and God the Father when we put our trust in Jesus. There's a movement, a transition from our being distant and separated from God to being pulled into his family and adopted. The Bible uses that metaphor, that idea of being adopted in pulled into God's family so that he is our father and we're his children. It teaches, this passage teaches that truth. And so though it's not perfect in its description of how it works to become a follower of Jesus and to be connected to God, it gives us a little bit of an idea that he becomes our father. And so in a sense, the way our earthly fathers, the relationship between us and them, the way that works helps us to understand in a small way What happens when we put our trust in Jesus? And yet many in our world seek to keep God distant, to hold him out at arm's length for fear that he would come in and change everything so radically that we would no longer recognize our lives. We try to hang on to control. The truth is that as long as we do that, we will not understand what this life was really meant to be about. You see, you were not meant to be separated from God, your Father. You need a Heavenly Father. Some of us have a poor image of Father. Our earthly fathers perhaps did us harm or treated us in a way that caused damage. And so we have an image of Father that is tainted and warped and damaged. And so when we hear that God's our Father, we have a resistance to that. Wait a minute, I don't, that's not a good image that I get in my mind. Can I tell you this? That God wants to transition the way you see Father. He wants to change it completely. Even if you had a great earthly father, he has more to show you about what it means, what the role of father means and what role he's going to play in our lives. Fathers uh, play an important role. Fathers are there. God, the scripture says, he's there to pull us in and to love us and to care for us. He's also there to discipline us, spank us when we need it, to push us in the right direction, to get on us a little bit. This is the role of a good father because fathers care. He's also there to comfort us, to encourage us, to say, hey, I believe in you. You can do this. I know you don't think you can, but I know you can. Go for it. Get out there. Live your life. These are the things that God wants to do in our lives. There's there's an old hymn that I think describes uh, this, this process of relationship very eloquently. It goes this way. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full. He has riches untold. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them. But now he is reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice and an alien by birth, but I've been adopted. My name's written down. 
an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king with Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. God pulls us into his family. He says, you belong to me now, and I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to work for your good. I'm going to work in and through each situation that you face. And the truth is that God offers us the intimacy of a connected relationship through prayer, where though we can't see him, we can talk to him. We can interact with him. We can come into his presence whenever we want. His doors never closed. The busy signal, the busy lights never on. He always has time for us. Again, it's beyond our comprehension. As human fathers, we can barely handle the few children that God gives us. If if you've been blessed with that and you wonder, how can I handle all of these problems and situations? How can I do it and get everything else done? It can be overwhelming. And yet God handles millions and millions and millions of his children. No problem. He's accessible. He's ready. The Apostle John wrote these words about prayer and how we approach it in 1 John chapter 5. Verses 14 to 15, he says this, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. There's an important dynamic in our prayer life, and this requires maturity. It requires growing When we first start praying, we typically ask God for the things we have a felt need for. God, would you help me? I remember as a kid, I wanted to go out and play baseball with my buddies, and I had a baseball somewhere. I just couldn't find it. I said, God, would you help me find my baseball? You know where it's at. You see all things. Well, he didn't show me where it was at. I got so frustrated. Like, God, where are you at? Why can't you just help me? Like, this is easy for you. Come on, right? And we treat this relationship with God like that. Like, God, I need something done here, and you could do it. You're all powerful. You see all things. Why don't you just move and act on my behalf? Fix the problem. And this can be how we pray. But the apostle uh, John says here very clearly in this passage that when we pray for things that please him, in other words, in accordance with his will and intention, that is when we connect into God's plan. And that's when we see our prayers answered Because we're looking at the world the way God does. We're seeing it through his eyes and through his perspective. And this takes time. It takes maturity. It comes through growth. To learn that God is not just my magic genie in the sky. When I need something, I can ask him and pop, it's going to appear. No, that's not how it works. He's the God of the heavens. The God of the universe. He created me. He does not need me to direct him. No, I need him to direct me. And so I look for his direction. I look for his will. As I live my life, I'm saying, God, what do you want done here? And I'm trying to pray in accordance with that. And this is what the apostle teaches. The Bible teaches us this. See, we have this mixed conception, in a sense, of how it works. Now listen, we are children, and we do need things. And eventually, I found a baseball somewhere, right? I needed to play baseball. It was important. Okay, it's not as though God doesn't care about those things. We're told to come to him, to pray, to ask for what we need. I want to discount that. But I want to say that God's trying to move us in a progression of understanding and wisdom and maturity. That we would grow to a place where we understand that God loves us no matter what. We're not just looking for a fix or an answer. 
But we go to him in faith, seeking his direction and his will, and we trust him no matter what it is he allows us to go through. That we recognize the connection to God is not about getting what we need, but it's about getting him, which is what we need the most. We don't need answers to our problems. We need a connection to a God that will walk through the problems with us and give us the strength to endure them and to handle them. This is what we really need as human beings. He's given us the ability to figure things out and to find solutions and to find answers. This is part of the process of living, and he's given us a modicum of power in that. What we really need is that connection to God. But Jesus teaches us to be persistent about the way we pray. Matthew chapter 7 Jesus talks about praying, and he gives us this direction on it. He says, listen, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. He says, listen, God, uh, it's not a lockbox where he's trying to hide from you the things you need. He's trying to keep from you the mysteries that you need answered. No, it's available. Now, you've got to be persistent as you pursue those answers, that direction, that wisdom, as you pursue God's presence. There's something about the pursuit that God wants to build into us, right? That he doesn't just say yes right now the first time we ask. He doesn't just answer, but he looks to build into our lives a consistency, a persistence, a a desperate need for God's answers and presence so that we live our lives that way. He goes on to say this, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Look, God is there to meet our needs. He is there to interact with. He is there to ask him for the little things and the big things. And he's looking to provide for us. He wants to reach out and meet our needs. We've got to learn, though, through the process, how to see the world through his eyes. He's trying to grow us. So if he's saying no to something, there's a reason behind it. Um, you guys know, those of you that are earthly fathers, You do not say yes to every request that your children have for something. Right? You don't say yes to everything, I hope. (laughs) Just say no, you shouldn't. (laughs) I'll give you permission to say no. There's times to evaluate a situation. There's times that children want things that are not the best for them. Not the right time. We can't afford it. All kinds of reasons. Listen, we trust God with the answers. We go to him in need. We ask him for what uh, we need, and we trust him to give us the best. The reason our prayers can get to the Father, as we think about praying, the reason they can get to the Father is because we pray through the Son. We pray through the Son. What does that mean? 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This passage teaches us that though we were separated from God, though we were disconnected from him, Jesus came to reconcile the relationship. 
That was the work he did when he came to the earth. Jesus walked the earth among us, revealing God to us. He went to a cross, he suffered and died, and in his death, he atoned for or paid for the sins of the world so that he could mediate the relationship between us and the Father. We were separated from him by our sin, and something had to be done. And so God moved because of his great love for us, the compassion he had for us. Jesus came to the earth and did this work on our behalf. And so... There is a mediator now. Jesus acts as the one who goes between. He helps our relationship with the Father to be fixed, to be made right, so that we can talk to God. So it is through Jesus, through his sacrifice, through the work that he did, that we can access the Father. In Revelation chapter 12, we learn that Jesus is an advocate for us. That Satan, the accuser, stands constantly before the throne of God, accusing you, lobbing uh, accusations at you. Satan sees who you are and what you do. He recognizes the sin in your life. So you pray to God, you come to God, and Satan accuses. Oh God, did you see what she did last night? Do you know who she is? It doesn't belong to you. You can't listen to her prayers. She's a sinner. Because God is holy. He is pure. He cannot look on sin. But Jesus stands there defending you before God the Father. He says, no, she belongs to me. He belongs to me. He's been found in me, put his trust in me. And so our prayers make it to the Father. It is through Jesus that our prayers get to God. Because Jesus paid the price, he enabled the just nature of God to be fulfilled. Justice is required, and our sin required payment, and Jesus paid the price. Jesus also acts, the Bible tells us, as our high priest. What does a high priest do? Well, in the Old Testament, as I said, the high priest would be a go-between. He would be a mediator. So he would go into the Holy Holy of Holies. He would pray for the people. He would offer sacrifices for the people. He was a mediator between God and man. Hebrews chapter 4 teaches us that Jesus fills this very important role for us today. Hebrews 4 says this, verses 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Listen, all of us uh, have sin in our lives. We don't reach a point where we're living in sinless perfection. So when we come to God, we know that there is something that could stop us from coming to him, to a holy God, to come into his presence. But because of the work of Jesus, our great high priest, We have access to God even in the midst of our sin. So we can come boldly knowing that instead of judgment and condemnation, we will find grace and mercy. So we can continue to come to God persistently, consistently. Doesn't matter what failure I experienced or was involved in yesterday or today, I can still come into his presence. So many of the people, uh, as we sin and as we mess up, we begin to pull away from God. We stop going to him. We're ashamed. 
We're disappointed in ourselves. We're discouraged. We feel like failures and we don't want to deal with that. So we quit going to God. The opposite should be our reaction. Knowing that God is ready to forgive, ready to show mercy. First John 1, 9, uh, you know, it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That accessibility is always there. So when you sin, when I sin, our first reaction should be to run to our Father. To say, God, forgive me. I messed up again. I need your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. I need to be in your presence. Why is our walk with God sometimes a crawl with God? Why is there a lack of passion sometimes for a Savior who saved us and sacrificed all for us? Why the lack of victory in our life oftentimes? Why the lack of power to share Jesus with others? The words of Billy Sunday ring true. A famous preacher and evangelist, he said this, he that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. He that's a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. Are you experiencing victory and power at overcoming sin, at overcoming uh, weakness in your life? Are you seeing God move through your life to help others? Or do you feel as though the situations and, and um, things that you face in life are always overwhelming? Listen, if your situation is overwhelming, if life is more than you can handle, then perhaps your connection to God is not strong enough because you don't overcome this life in your own strength. You overcome this life through the power of an almighty God who lives within you, who is accessible to you, who wants to be your strength and your power. Do you have the ability to step into a difficult situation and know that God's with you, to have the courage and confidence to stand with him and for him? Listen, this is what we've got to discover and learn. So we pray to the Father, um, through the Son, and by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a role, a very important role, in our prayers getting to heaven, getting to God the Father. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Apostle Paul, write, Apostle Paul writes these words, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. He says pray in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? There's a different level, a different uh, experience of prayer, a different way to pray that we can tap into that is powerful. That's why it's talked about in Scripture. It's not meant to be elusive or difficult to understand or experience, but it does take spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, and maturity and growth to tap into the understanding that I'm just not lobbing prayers to God, but I'm having an interaction with God that is supernatural. So that I'm not just talking to him, but I'm hearing from him. There's a connection, a two-way connection. And oftentimes, prayer in the spirit, there's more receiving than there is sending. Because the truth is, I need to hear from God. I need his presence in me. I need to know that he's walking with me, speaking into my life, infusing me with the power and courage that I need to face my life, giving me wisdom to overcome the situations that I face. See, this two-way communication is so important, and that is what prayer in the Spirit is like, knowing that God's hearing me. My, uh, my spirit, my mind is flooded with the presence of God. You know, in the New Testament, there was... Uh, 
a type of prayer that's referred to called praying in tongues. All right? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that uh, he encouraged everyone to pray in tongues. And he said it's a, it's a prayer experience that involves speaking in a language that's not human. He said, if you speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I have nothing. So he's talking about this type of prayer. Now, I don't know what you think about praying in tongues. I'm not promoting praying in tongues. I'm not really talking about that today. I'm saying that prayer in the Spirit in the New Testament involved that type of prayer. It was something mystical and spiritual and supernatural. And whether or not that is a part of prayer today in your mind, what is and should be a part of prayer for all of us is prayer in the Spirit. Praying with a powerful, developed, cultivated connection to the presence of God in my life. The Holy Spirit is in your life. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit if you put your trust in Jesus. And to pray as though you don't have that type of connection with God is just falling short of the type of connection that you're meant to have. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. Have you walked through life and experienced that? Oh, I shouldn't be doing that. This is wrong. I got to change. That's the Holy Spirit. Have you walked through life and, and needed some wisdom and wondered what to do and all of a sudden it seems like you have it? You have insight into a situation. Well, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the type of activity he does. When we connect to his presence, our prayer life changes. I think for many, prayer remains a cerebral exercise, one in which I am connected to the truth of God, yes, to the knowledge of God, yes, and I'm praying in an intellectual way, in a way that I can understand. But guys, I know that prayer in the Spirit transcends understanding. It's beyond my cerebral ability to connect to God. It's going further than that. Or maybe it's just different than that. Prayer in the Spirit. Recognizing that the Holy Spirit wants to interact with us and we have access to God through Him. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul instructs us as to the role the Holy Spirit plays when we pray. How does He do this? What is the process? What's the interaction that He has with our prayers? This is what it looks like. He says this, um, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Listen, the Holy Spirit plays this fascinating, profound role. When I am going through life, and there are things I'm dealing with and struggling with that words just don't express. I don't have words for them. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know how to pray. I'm at a loss. Here's the powerful truth that the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, takes our heart. He takes our emotions and our mind and all that jumbled up stuff. He takes it to the Father and he prays for us. And he prays in a way that is in line with God's will understanding what our needs are and who we are and knowing what God wants for us. This powerful transition or translation work is done by the Holy Spirit. And so his role is to carry our prayers to God. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray for and he certainly interacts when we think we do. And there's times we think we know how to pray. Hey, I got this. I understand what I need to do. And so we pray in line with that. The Holy Spirit, even in those moments, when we think we know what's right, he takes what, what is really right and what really is in line with God's will. 
so that our prayers can be effective, so that our interaction with God can be real and powerful. So this is the process, praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. It's how it works. It's, it's how the process is. But, but when should we pray? What, what's that supposed to look like in my life? And there's a lot of different things we could talk about, but I want to highlight three things. First of all is this, that the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. In other words, pray at all times. And what I do know is that by understanding and being connected to the fact that God is with me as I go through my life, that I can pray on a continual basis throughout my day and throughout my life. I can interact with God all the time. This is a great privilege and a powerful way to live our lives. That I'm not just hitting a difficult thing and thinking of God at the last minute, you know, like finally reading the instructions when I can't put the thing together and then I go to God, you know. Oh, God, I need some help here. Could you tell me what to do? Like, that's not, uh, prayer is not limited to that. But we can actually be cognizant of the fact that God is walking with me through my life. And I can talk to him and interact with him. So praying without ceasing, praying all the time, is a way in which I can live. Secondly, a focused time of prayer is something that most Christians do. And I would encourage you to do it. To have a time you set aside in your day. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's before you go to bed. Maybe it's in the middle of the day. But you're setting aside a time to talk to God in a focused way. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at intercessory prayer and praying for others and praying for our world and interceding and the spiritual warfare that's involved in that and how we're instructed to do that and, and what that looks like. But, uh, but, we're, but a focused time of prayer in my day is so important. You should do that. You should set aside a time where you're spending some time in Scripture and you're focused in on talking to God. The last thing that I want to mention this morning is something I learned growing up. It's not necessarily in the Bible, but I think it's a powerful way to build prayer into your life. When I was a kid, uh, as we sat down before a meal, before we started to eat, my dad would pray for the food and pray for our family. And this did a number of things. First of all, it taught me that God was the source of the food and sustenance I was getting that day. Right? No matter where it came from, no matter who prepared it, that God was the source of it. And it taught me that, reinforced that into my mind and my heart and my soul as a kid. It also taught me that my dad was a spiritual leader, that he was praying for our family, that he was leading us, right? And I saw that and it made a big difference and a big impact in my life. And so I would encourage you, maybe many of you do this already and you grew up that way and you just kind of know it, but I know not everyone does. It's a powerful way for you, especially you as men, to invest in your family and lead your family. And don't be afraid of making it sound professional or eloquent. That's not the point. The point is that you're in a role and you're leading your family out in prayer. You're saying, listen, this is who we are. I mean, for me growing up, it didn't matter if we were at home eating my mom's casserole or if we were at Pizza Hut. All right? We stopped and prayed. And uh, it freaked some people out sometimes. Sometimes we had those people come up and say, man, it's so good to see a family praying. That just blessed my heart, right? Listen, uh, you might be a little afraid to do that. Um, let me encourage you. There really isn't anything to be scared of. It's just making it, maybe it's making a little bit of a statement, but the reason my dad did it was just to lead our family. This is who we are. This is what we do. And it, it was powerful. And so I'd encourage you, try that. Give it a shot if you don't do it. Stop and pray. You'll forget the first couple times and you'll have to stop everybody from eating. Oh, hold on, we gotta pray. 
but just do it. It's powerful, it's important, it can build into your life a rhythm of prayer. Listen, we're going to talk, uh, the fourth week of the series, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray. But in Luke 18, Jesus gives some instruction I want to look at this morning about how to pray. He told his disciples a parable. He said, there was a judge who was responsible to rule over men and women and to judge the, the, the accord, you know, and the issues in their life, to bring a judgment to dis, uh, disputes and to disagreements and to times when people uh, had been wronged. And so there was this judge. He lived in a distant land, and he didn't fear God, and he didn't care about people. But there was a woman that came to him pleading for a judgment. She said, I need justice. My enemy wronged me, judge. You've got to rule on this and make it right. Well, he ignored her because he didn't fear God and he didn't care about people. And, and so Jesus said for, for a long time, he ignored the woman. But she was persistent. She kept coming back. Judge, I need a ruling. I need justice. Rule on my behalf. He said this unjust judge who didn't fear God and didn't care about people, even he at one point said, I'm going to rule on this woman's issue because I'm tired of her coming to me. I want to get her off my back. And so he ruled in her case and brought justice to her. And then he says this, the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith. Prayer requires faith. We pray by faith, believing that God exists, that he loves us, he cares for us, that he's there, that he hears our prayers, that he is there to answer our prayers. We don't do it based on the outcome. Do I get what I want? Did he answer the way I wanted to? We continue to pray persistently, knowing that God exists by faith. And can I tell you this? I don't know your situation this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with or going through. I know we have people in our community dealing with loss and tragedy, uh, difficulty, sickness, illness. We're all dealing with an economic situation that's going to be stressful and, and a time in life we've worked through that's hard. Listen, we all have some difficulty in our life. I don't know your situation specifically, but I know this without ab- with, with absolute confidence and certainty that if you belong to Jesus, if you put your trust in him, he is aware of what's going on in your life. He is working on your behalf. He is working to bring a conclusion, to bring justice, to bring an answer, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring provision, to bring love, to bring a connection. I know because I know God. I know who he is. I've walked with him and I've seen him do that in my life to the point that I would be a fool not to stand here and tell you that fact, that he is working for you. And sometimes it's in the smallest of things, the most trivial areas where we see God and we see him move and act and do something and we're reminded that he's there. He cares for us. He's watching over us. There was a voyage years ago over the, on the Atlantic Ocean crossing it on an ocean liner and F.B. Meyer, who was a, a, a preacher, Um, was on the voyage, and he was asked to address the first-class passengers with with a sermon. 
And the captain requested he talk about answered prayer. And so he delivered a message one morning, and there was a group of those passengers there to hear him. One of them was an agnostic. He did not believe. And so his friends asked him after the message, hey, what did you think of what Dr. Myers said? He said, I didn't believe a word of it. There wasn't anything there that was helpful at all. Um, just a bunch of gobbledygook. Well, later that afternoon, Dr. Meyer was asked to speak to the fourth class passengers and deliver the same message. And so as he went to the room to deliver that message, some of the first class passengers went to hear him again. And one of them was this agnostic, even though he claimed he was just going to hear what the babbler had to say. Wasn't really interested, but he was going. Well, on his way, before he left his room, he took a couple of oranges and put them in his pockets, I suppose, to eat as he was enjoying the message and, uh, and hearing what the babbler had to say. As he was walking towards the room, he passed an older woman who was sitting in a deck chair, fast asleep, with her two hands open like this. And he thought to himself, I'm going to have a little fun with her. So he took his two oranges out, put them in her hands. Then he left and went to hear the message. He came back afterwards. He was returning uh, to his room, and he passed the woman and saw that she was awake, and she was eating one of the oranges. And so he stopped, and he said, hey, looks like you're enjoying that orange. And she said, yeah, my father is so good to me. He loves me so much. He provided them for me. And the man said, "Uh, ma'am, no offense, but uh, you're too old. Your father can't still be alive. There's no way that can happen. And she said, oh, no. I assure you that he is very much alive and very much taking care of me. And uh, the man pressed her. He said, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And she said, well, I've been feeling ill with some seasickness over the last couple of days, and I've been praying to God that he would provide me some oranges or an orange to settle my stomach. And she's like, I must have fallen asleep praying. And she said, I woke up, and God's so good that not just give me one orange, he gave me two. And the man kind of, left speechless. Later, he put his trust in Christ, (laughs) recognizing that God does hear and answer our prayers. And sometimes we're not aware of it. How many prayers, how many times does God move and interject into our life and we're not aware? My conviction is to become more aware. Do you keep track of the things you pray for to see how and when God answers Do you make sure you're aware of the way your loving Father is taking care of you? We always notice the times when he doesn't answer the way we want, when we're forced to go through some difficulty or tragedy that is painful and it hurts. We always remember that. And many get disgruntled and angry and move away from God. But we should do the opposite. We should pull in to God closer, trusting him more, looking to him more, living for him more so that we can see over a lifetime God move in our lives. Our lives become more powerful, not in this existence, but for eternal things. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Fighting to advance what God wants to do. I want to call us as a church, and my heart behind this series is to reignite. We're we're a praying church, I know that. But I want to reignite a movement of prayer in our body and in our church. And going through the season we are in, it's even that much more important. God is on the move. He's moving in the lives of people, in our country, in our world, in our region, drawing people to himself, changing lives. Listen, I've heard so many stories of how people are turning to God in a season of difficulty. They're pressing into him. Listen, we need to be praying. 
We need to pray that God will position us as a church to meet those needs, to meet the, the place in which God's moving so that we can be a part of it, so we can ensure that we're in the mix and that God can look to us to help those that need it, to answer those hurts and problems that are there. And so I want to ask us to pray 40 days of prayer, 40 days of prayer. You know, we've been in this thing over 40 days, and, uh, and, and so I want us to pray for the next 40 days so that we can pray our way out of this. We can pray our way to recovery, to restoration. God wants to do greater things in us than he's done in the past. Maybe this time was to get us refocused on him, to put aside the things in our life that distract us and consume us so that we could once again remember that he's called us to make a difference in the world, that we can be his people. And so I want to call us to pray, 40 days of prayer, to pray out of this season of crisis. We can do that. Will you join me in praying for our region, our country, our world, that God would continue to move and he would move in us. God has a vision for us. He has plans for us. He has risks he wants us to take as a church. I can guarantee you it's not going to look right from an earthly standpoint. But if we're tapped in and connected to God, listening to his spirit, we're going to move. And we're going to move at the right time in the right way. And we're going to step out and see God do amazing things. As we close, <clears throat> there's a family that has been coming to our church for um, a couple of months. Uh, they're neighbors of ours. And uh, it's Will and Lindsay Lookabill. And there was an accident yesterday. Lindsay was injured, and I heard that she passed away this morning. We've been praying for her and for Will. And so I want to continue to pray for them and for their family. I know we've got a lot of hurts in our community. Uh, there's people that are struggling with cancer and with illness. We've got pain all over the place. But these guys are on my heart, and, and I want to ask you to be praying for them that as a, uh, through a season, we can be there for them as a church and that um, in spite of the difficult time, that God would just pull them in closer. So let's pray for them. God, uh, just thank you for um, the access we have to you that we can come into your presence, we can bring our hurts and our cares and our concerns, our joy, our celebration, we can bring it all to you and interact with you, our Heavenly Father, who has given it all to us. We can thank you, we can cry out to you for help and bring our hurts. God, I just thank you for that. I pray, Father, that you would continue to move in our region, in our country, God, I pray that you would begin to move us out of a season of crisis, a season of slowdown, and Father, that you would bring us out. I know that you have greater things for us to do. You have work for us to do, people to help, lives to influence. God, I pray that you would raise us up as your people, fill us with courage and strength. God, make us the people that are ready to move and to act and to believe and to trust and to point people to you. God, I just pray for the Lookabill family. And uh, Father, we just, uh, our hearts are heavy as they've gone through a time of crisis. Father, we know that you um, are not surprised by this, but you are aware and that you are involved. You're carrying them through this season of trauma and loss and difficulty. God, I just lift Will up to you that you would meet him where he's at, Father, that he would feel your presence and comfort. And God, for the whole family on both sides, just watch over them. God, be there uh, in a powerful way. Use us as your people to encourage them, to speak life into them. 
uh, to remind them of your presence and existence and love for them. And God, for others in our church and our community who are struggling with illness, fighting cancer, um, battling with disease. God, it's all over the place and we need you. We need your help and your power, your strength. Sustain us, Father. Lift us up. Give us the courage to face the problems in our life and in our time. Make us the people who stand, who have peace that passes all understanding, who are examples of you to the world, who others can see you shine through us. Thank you, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.